wanting to make sure everybody's sitting in the right place. I was thrown off last week by some of you. Kyle, you're over here. You and Natalie are throwing me off a little bit, but I'm going to overcome that. Let's see. Donna's back where she needs to be. Great, great, great. Glad you're here and mindful of you every day. All right, everybody's pretty much in the right spot. Okay. Uh, so how many heard, how many heard in between now that this is going to be a really long sermon? How many heard? I've already heard it from two people. We heard from the ladies this morning. They reported it wasn't no, totally my fault. They ran out of grape juice on the Lord's Supper table, right? And they couldn't find any anywhere. A church of Christ without fruit of the vine. Can you imagine? That's like a baptistry without water. That never happens. But it's both happened here in the last six months, which means in three months we're going to have an organ sitting right there. I'm telling you, right? I, I, you just, it's a slippery slope, church. It's a slippery slope, right? Hey, this is an amazing week. We've got radius this week. I say we've got. We're, most of us aren't going to see this, but in Paragool there's going to be a conglomeration of young people who are going to attack people's houses and make them better places to live. I, I keep thinking, imagine Joe Scott painting your house. Forever we'll know what house he painted. Anyway, so as they go through, I love this whole project. It's a great thing. They're going to go out there and, and they're going to touch people's lives. And so what I want to do is, I want you to, how many are going? Raise your hand if you're going. This is important, we think it's important, and you are representing the church, and you're making a difference for God, so we're going to pray for this mission. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful to be your people, and one expression that we get to make to people, to be able to share you with others and to demonstrate that we recognize what grace we have received is we get to serve people. We get to serve people in areas of their need that we have resources to help provide. And I pray, Father, every one of these young people, they realize, they realize deep in their hearts how significant this is. A youth event that's not about fun and games alone, but is about serving other people. And I pray for their every move, Father, that everything that they do will be seen for what, it's, what it is, and that is a gesture of, of, of expression of your grace in us. And Father, everything that they do, I pray that you bless those homeowners to be touched by what they're doing, that you bless the community to see what they're striving to do, and that you bless your kingdom through what they do. Bless every single one of them and every single young person from everywhere they're coming from to make this possible. Bless this effort, keep them safe, and make them productive. Use them in your service. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're grateful for you guys. Also, don't forget, BBS starts next Sunday, right? Everybody's dying to know when we come in next Sunday what weird thing's going to be up here in the front, right? What is Wesley and Risa up to? Yeah, you're going to see it. Finally, months of wondering. It has something to do with Jonah, so you can try to take a guess, but my guess is you'll never guess. But go ahead and try. Anyway, so we're in Matthew chapter 18, if you'll be turning there as we sing. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Y'all got assigned seating, got to honor that. We're in Matthew chapter 18. This is a section of warnings. There's several warnings, but what this is for is when you come into the kingdom, 
and you're living kingdom life, there are some danger spots that could threaten your, uh, your living with as much joy and peace as God wants to offer, and it ultimately could threaten your standing in the kingdom. So in Matthew chapter 18 and chapter 19, he mentions five major warnings. And most people don't like warnings. We, we hear this everywhere. It's a negative thing. It makes me feel bad. It makes me feel like punishment is pending. And so let's keep everything light and positive. Melissa's on this committee of people in, in the Kennett schools about changing the way you phrase correction of young people. Don't say, now don't do that. No, 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 now you've got to say fluffy and light and positive. Don't ever say it in a negative way because it makes people feel bad. And so she talks about this and tells me all about this. I think, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It never hurts anybody to go, don't do that, Right? So, Johnny, 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 listen, that's a beautiful knife you have. Let's brainstorm for more positive things you can do with that than stick it into Susie's foot. Let's, you know, I mean, what are you going to do at school to make that positive? There are times we need to be warned. There are times that things are so significant, you need to know what the consequences are and lay them out. Jesus, in this section, has five areas, undealt with sin, lack of repentance, Marriage ended by adultery. And then he mentions also wealth. Those are four major areas that he says, listen, you might be in the kingdom, but this, the way you handle these areas right here, are so important, it could actually cost you the kingdom. And he needs you to know that. He doesn't want you to be taken by surprise. And number three is this one that we're on today. Peter brings it up. He says... How often will my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? How many times do I have to forgive a brother who offends me? And, he, and he, he's, he pulls out a number of grace. He says, do I have to do it seven times? Seven is a, a number of fulfillment and fullness. Is that enough? And Jesus says, you multiply that by 70 and you're getting warm. Wow, so you could say, well, 490 times. No, he said, don't keep track. Just have an ongoing forgiveness with people. And so he then tells this story. He tells a story about a king. And you read it. You heard it read very well just a moment ago. This king has, uh, has the final say. He's the one that everybody has to answer to. He has all power, and everybody works for him. And once in a while, he can call an account from his servants, and... Yeah, that was me. Okay, so you, you give an accounting, and he, in perfect justice, responds as you have lived. This king can make anybody be held account to himself. And so one day he decides, okay, all servants, you have to be accountable to me. What have you done? What, what is it that you owe? And he's a just king, so every single thing done has to be atoned for and made right. Well, this one servant, we're going to call him the capital S servant because there's two in this story. This one servant has this horrendous debt. I want to describe this debt that he's got. It's on the next slide. It's a weird thing. 10,000 talents. One talent, this is a chunk of change. We don't have a dollar bill this large. A talent is 20 years of, of minimum wage. One talent. And this guy owes 
10,000 talents. So let's say 850, I think it's changed now, somebody corrected me earlier, but 850 is what I thought was the uh, Arkansas uh, minimum wage. So 850 per hour, 2,000 hours a year, 20 years equals $340,000, but it's 10,000 talents, so you multiply that by 10,000. This guy owed the king $3,400,000,000. That's huge. That is something so insurmountable, and I'm like, how in the world do you run up a tab like that? But that's what the servant comes to. He says, this is what I owe. And so the servant, who's having to hold, be held accountable, just throws himself. He's read this, he knows this, and he throws himself on the king's mercy. One more thing you need to know about the king. He throws himself upon the mercy of the king, and the king, while he has perfect justice and has a right to have an accounting of everything, also has a heart that can be moved with pity and compassion. And because of the way the servant responded, the king decides something. The servant says, I'll pay it off, give me time. Yeah, right, it would take you forever. So the king just says, I tell you what, I won't even listen to your offer. You don't have to work it off. I'm just going to forgive you the entire amount right now. So the king had him put on the auction block. He had his entire family ready, being prepared to be auctioned off to help pay back some of the debt. And he takes him off the auction block, says, I'm not going to sell you and your family. You guys can stay together. And I tell you what, there is no debt. You're completely free, and you walk out of here with a zero tab. Now that is amazing. And he feels the liberty from this. He feels the weight lifted. And he skips out of that place. Skips out of that place with a new kind of energy. And the first thing he does is he goes and finds somebody who owes him. He has a servant too, a, a small s servant. And this servant owed him a little bit of money too. He owed him 100 denarii, which is 100 days of common, uh, of, of the of the minimum wage. And so you take one day of the minimum wage, 850, and you multiply that by 20 weeks of labor, right? At 40 hours a week, and you get $6,800. He owes almost $7,000. So this guy, after he was, he was forgiven of his massive debt, he goes out and he finds this guy who owes him 7,000 bucks. That's no small amount. This is not insignificant. This is a big deal. But he'd just, been, he'd just been forgiven of billions. And he comes up to this servant who owes him 7,000 bucks and says, you pay or else. And he starts choking him. And the guy says, I can't pay. And so he does what his servant did as well. His master had just done. He begs for mercy. Give me patience. I'll pay it back. And he says, no, you're going in debtor's prison. He copied the justice of the king, but he didn't imitate the mercy of the king. Throws the man in jail. He had every right to do that, I suppose. When other servants heard what this guy did, they go and they report it to the king. You just forgave this guy of billions, and he goes and imprisons a guy who owes him thousands. The king is enraged. The king summons him back. And I'm wondering what this servant is thinking when he's summoned back into the king's presence, but he comes walking in there knowing he doesn't owe anything. It's been expunged. And so he comes walking in, and the king is furious. He calls the servant wicked. Now, here's the thing. He never called him wicked for the $3 billion he owed. He calls him wicked for not showing mercy to other people. Can I tell you, God's economy is different from yours. 
You call these behaviors wickedness about drug abuse and addiction and these things. You know what God calls disgusting and wicked? When we aren't merciful to other people. That's the most wicked we can be. If you're going to put it in monetary amounts, for God, you, we say murder is so much worse than unmerciful. God switches those. He calls not being merciful when you've received it wicked. And he unforgives the servant. He unforgives him. Question for you to think about right this minute. Can God or does God unforgive you? Can God unforgive your sin? Can he decide, well, I forgave him, but after that behavior, I'm going to unforgive him. Can God do that? It does in the parable. It's just interesting. I just want you to think about that for a second. And he hands him over, and your versions may say, like mine, handed him over to the jailer to be put in jail. No, handed him over to the torturers to be tortured until he paid it back. And do you know how long that is? Forever. He's going to be tortured. He's not going to be put in prison. He is going to be in pain the rest of eternity. That's the story. Here's the moral of the story. You ready? Jesus just comes out and says, Let me, here's my warning. This is why it's in the warning section of Matthew 18 and 19. This is why it's one of the big red flags. You Christians, you Christians who are in the kingdom, who've been forgiven of your sin, there are still areas of your life where you need to pay great attention to because it could still cost you your salvation. And one of them is this. This is what God will do to every one of you who does not forgive your brother from the heart. This is what happens to you when you choose to refrain from forgiving someone else who's wronged you for whatever reason. You think Jesus is serious or are you throwing out a, a parent scare tactic? Like that lady at Walmart, you don't quit doing that, I'm going to beat you, boy. And she says it all the way through Walmart, never does it, and everybody knows she's not going to do it. Right? Is that what Jesus is doing here? Or do you think he really says you can be in the kingdom of God and be a servant of God and respond to him in baptism and then when you do not forgive a fellow brother who offends you, you are thrown back out? Or at least could be. Is that serious? Is that what the text says? That's what the text says to me. Now what you got to know about this is that the king in this story is God. And God keeps tabs of every single thing you do. God is perfectly just, which means every action done that transgresses His will in the entire universe by every person is written down and every single one of them will be paid for. There's nothing He overlooks. There's nothing He just turns His face away from. There's nothing He just says, oh, ain't no big deal. It all gets put in a ledger and you will pay for every careless word, every careless act. You won't even remember all the things you're going to pay for. And he's going to bring them up and you go, I don't remember that. I do. I wrote it down. Every single thing. That's what Romans chapter 2 says. Notice, but because of your hardened and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God judges. Right? You're just adding more and more and more. And every single thing, every single thing is put there. But here's the beauty of the God we serve. This is the same God. He says three chapters later, while you are still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 
No one would die for a righteous person. Maybe for a good person they would. But God shows his love for this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. For, while we're still racking up the dead over here, while we're still piling up wrath, even while we're doing it, even in our rebellion and sin, we're doing this. He's over here working out a way for us to get out of it. We serve a God who's working every bit he can to get us out of the debt that we deserve to pay. He's worked hard at it. It cost him something. And while we just say, God, forgive me of my sin very casually, I want you to know, every time we say that, it costs God everything. Yeah, it's free. But it wasn't free to him. We serve a God who keeps track of everything. And yet, while he is willing to justly punish everything on our ledger, He'd much prefer to forgive every bit of it. And he worked really hard to make it possible, but he cannot make you do it. It's available, but he won't make you take it. There's a couple of things, though, in this story that we learn. Two conditions for your forgiveness. One is before you are forgiven, and the second one is after. Both of them are in effect. You can only be forgiven, number one, if you repent. You have to ask God. In the story, the, the, the king is ready and willing to sell the guy. He's preparing them for the slave auction. I am going to do it. You are going to pay for it. I am a just king. But when he pleads, when he urges patience on God's behalf, God says, okay, let me go to plan B. I'll just forgive you of this. I'll just expunge the record. I want you to know, God is ready, more ready than you are to eliminate your sin. He wants to. He wants to take it from you. He doesn't want you burdened the rest of your life. He longs for you to be free of the consequences of every sin you ever committed spiritually before him. But he won't do it if you don't ask him. It's a request thing. Second condition is after you're forgiven, you must imitate him and forgive others. And it's not unclear at all, is it? It's very clear in the story. If you choose not to pass on forgiveness to other people who wrong you, your forgiveness from God is stopped. That's your only chance. The only chance we have of being right with God from past sin, present sin, and future sin is the blood of Jesus flows into our life and in real time offers us forgiveness. But when we stop forgiving others, God stops the flow and you're stuck out there on your own and on your own you're in deep trouble. If you choose to be a person, I want God's grace, but I don't want to give God's grace to anybody else, you lose it just like that. Un forgiveness is unforgivable. The servant in the story, the capital S servant, who owes so much is you. See the finger pointing to you. It's me. It's us. Every sin we commit against God is given a monetary value. 
It's like every sin we commit, God translates it into the, to the system that we understand, money. It says everything that you do must be paid for, and everything that you do has a monetary value, and not all sins are the same. Anybody who says all sins are the same before God, no. There are heavier ones, there are more consequential ones, there are premeditated ones, there are sins that are heavier and cost more, and that goes into that pile. And every time you sin, he changes it to a monetary value, and it becomes your debt. Which is why when Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer, and I want us all to recite it together, those of you who know it, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and... We'll stop right there. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus speaks in monetary language too when it comes to this. Your sin is translated to monetary units. It's piled in together and it becomes part of your debt. And this servant, this servant had a tab that was horrendous. It was full. Everything's been translated to monetary stuff and it has this, he could never pay it. The 50 cents added up to $20 of this and $3,000 of that and $4,000 of this and it all piled up into something he could never pay back. And do you know who has the greatest difficulty with this? People who grew up in the church. Those of you who know about your tab, and it's very evident to you and to everybody else how bad you were, it's very easy to realize how liberated you've become by the grace of God. But for those of us who grew up in the church, who think we've never done anything bad, the worst thought we ever had was when we went through a whole Lord's Supper service and didn't think of the cross enough. Right? I mean, we never, years I spent in vanity and pride. I never spent one year of my life in vanity, never caring that the Lord was crucified. I never had that. I look at all those wicked people out there and I think, boy, I'm glad I don't have it like them. So when God forgave me, he didn't forgive me of much, did he? And because of that, I have a hard time mustering a lot of compassion for other people. But remember this, the greatest wickedness, what God calls wickedness, is not homosexuality. It's not murder. It's not being merciful. It's looking at that addict and saying, straighten up your act! What's wrong with you? Just do right! What's wrong with you? Here's the thing, because I didn't have to receive much grace, I don't want to give much. And I look at everybody else and I have a hard time. I, have a great, I would much rather judge than be patient with a person I'm just looking at and saying, if you just, here's what the Bible says, just, just do it, just do it. When you are not merciful, it's the most disgusting thing in the eyes of God. And a lot of us church people are like that. You're very careful about thinking that your tab wasn't very long. The servant of the servant of the king is everybody else. It's people who wrong us. You see, we do the same thing. We convert the wrongs against us to a monetary value too. And there are people who owe us a bunch. There are heavy things, right? There are little things like little white lies and people don't do things that they tell you they will do. It's a sin, but it's a quarter sin. It's a yard sale sin. It's a little tab on it. It's no big deal. But when it becomes bigger, when it becomes betrayal or premeditated uh, 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 slander, 
They've thought about it and they say something behind your back. Ooh, that gets a little higher. That's getting into the hundreds and $200 bills. Or maybe it was an uncle or a father, a parent who sexually abused you. Whoops, sexually abused you. And because of that, that's heavy. That's talking thousands of dollars. And we've got people who owe us big time. And we, we, can, we can say to ourselves from this parable, I can forgive sins, the little stuff. It's the big stuff I can't forgive. So is it okay not to forgive the big stuff? I want you to know this servant owed him $7,000. And it's not $3 billion, but guys, how much, to how many of you is $7,000 a lot? It's a lot. I don't know what he had done, but he'd done something repeatedly. He'd done some big stuff to this guy. Listen, this guy was angry and had a right to be, and he was totally just to throw him in debtor's prison. There's nothing wrong with that justice, except he had just received grace from God. What made him need to forgive this guy was not that the guy repented. Even if a person doesn't repent to you, you still need to forgive them because it doesn't depend on their confession. It depends on the fact that you receive grace from God and that alone requires you to extend it to that person. It's big stuff. And there are people who've owed you big stuff, isn't there? You got names in your head, you got ex-spouses in your head, you've got relatives in your head, you've got people that used to love but betrayed you in your head, you've got people you love right now but there's such a roadblock between you and them because of something they said or they did that you just cannot let go of. I would forgive anything for God, but I won't forgive, to quote meatloaf and change it a little bit, I won't forgive what? What is it? What is it so heavy? When I spent time with the Amish not long ago, one of the questions I was asking, I said, can I ask any question I want? And the guy said, yes, you can. And I said, how in the world did you forgive that, Am that guy who killed the five Amish girls years ago? How in the world did that happen? And they're trained from very young to forgive. They're trained from very young to know the Scriptures, and you have to. And when you're trained from very young and you're expected to, you have a greater ability to do that. And Christians, we should be the same way. And then when you've received a tremendous amount. So how is it that we forgive? How can you get good at forgiving? Number one thing is this. Realize that you were really, 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 really bad. Every single one of you before you became a Christian, you were bad. Your debt was enormous. And most of us still, those of us raised as Christians, I get this. We grew up this way. We never had the big, big sins that everybody thinks about, but we, but we have the socially and spiritually sophisticated ones of envy and slander and judging other people and saying, I'd rather celebrate recovery. People stay out there because I don't know that I'll feel safe if they're in here. It's a worthy exercise for us to go back and look at the tab that God picked up at our baptism. Most of us think that it's like the little receipt that comes out of your gas station when you fill up with your card. You come and it's this little thing, oh, God forgave me this. No, no, let me tell you, it's more like Santa's list of naughty. That's more like what our list is. We, we think ourselves much better, and maybe we never would say that we worked our way into the kingdom, but our work since we got into the kingdom kind of paid it off, and we aren't all that bad. That's what we're saying, but we're not telling the truth. We are badder than we think we were, right? We are much badder than we think we were. 
We think we're pretty good, but no, we weren't. We were really bad. And you've been forgiven. And you need to sit down with this. As 2 Peter chapter 1 says, you cannot, be, you cannot forget you've been cleansed from your past sins. Don't you dare forget what you've been forgiven of. And here's the thing, guys. I have no trouble struggling with this. It's not just things I've done in the past. It's still things I still do. I still marvel at the amazing grace of God that I can sit here on a Sunday morning and be accepted by Him despite Him knowing me better than I know myself. The more I know myself, the more disgusted I become. And if you aren't like that, you're not looking close enough. It's an amazing expression of God's grace that He accepts any one of us in this building as His. It's an expression of His love and ability to overlook through the blood of His Son a lot of stuff that we know about and even a bunch of stuff we don't. If you struggle with giving grace to other people, it's because you don't really know how bad you were. So think about it. It's the key. Second, forgive other people no matter what. Beg God to forgive you. You can't pay Him back. There's no way to work out of it, right? You need to call on a God who not only is just, but He's merciful and He's waiting to hear the appeal from your lips. His... His justice demands that sin be paid for. No one comes to Him without their sins paid for. Anybody who thinks that you get out of this free is wrong. Everybody's sin has to be paid for. It's just that God says, I'll tell you what, you don't have to pay it. My son will. And he pays your tab. I don't know if you watch on Facebook very often, but the Leets were out on a date this week, I think, maybe last week. I don't think they'd care if I'd tell this. If they do, why do you put it on Facebook? That doesn't make much sense. Somebody actually watched the kids, and they got to have adult conversation, you know? Adult conversation. They're out eating somewhere, and, so, and, the, and the waiter comes to them and says, your meal is totally covered. Somebody's paid for it already. Now, that happens. I know a lot of people go through Starbucks, and people do this, or McDonald's every once in a while. But they were out here, and, 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 and they were just talking about how... And, just amazingly grateful they were for that. I don't know that they spent hours trying to figure out who it was. You know, sometimes you can do that. They were just grateful. When you came in here, you may have brought a tab with you, weighed down on your shoulders of all the things that are held to your account from God, and I want you to know, you can walk out of here with no tab and you didn't pay a thing. You can be sitting here like in that restaurant they were the other day, and you can walk out of here and not pay a thing and be totally sin-free. But you've got to ask God to do it. He's not going to randomly do this. We're not universalists. We don't think that he, he, he forgave everybody's sin just for whatever reason. It, it becomes like this. You can, we can all talk about Jesus and, and, and remember this at the table. We can remember that there was a day in history when he was put on a cross and put in the, the place of the skull and he died there. And it happened. It happened in history. I assure you it happened. And that's the reason we have Easter. That's a historical event. But that's not enough. It must be the place where your cavalry came in at the last second and spared you of your sin. It must be your cavalry. It must be your place at the cross. It must be your debt he paid. You've got to apply it, and you've got to ask him to apply it to you. And suddenly it becomes something personal. No longer is it Easter. Now it's the weekly Lord's Supper. 
You think of it every week as it saves your soul. You must remember how bad you were. You must remember that you begged God for forgiveness and He was more than ready and willing to exchange your condition with His Son. And thirdly, you have to extend forgiveness to other people. No matter what. There are going to be people arguing with me as you walk out the door and I'm ready. Well, can you believe that this person did this? And I can see you can have conversations. This, I can't believe that that person did that to you. And this person looks at you and says, do I really have to forgive them? The answer is always yes. Don't be so overwhelmed by matching their anxiety and their frustration and the depth of their legitimate pain to give them the wrong answer. You have to forgive people. Now, in case you wonder how serious is Jesus about this, we've got this parable we've just read. Eight, I don't know, 20 verses long? I don't, something like that? But you've also got this prayer we just quoted a moment ago. Jesus says, let me lead you guys in prayer and teach you how to pray. And he gives the Lord's prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do you remember, right after he says the amen and their eyes open back up from their prayer, because we know they close their eyes, right after they open their eyes, Jesus sees the need to give further commentary to one particular phrase of the prayer. He feels like, I need to clarify for you what I meant by this line because I know that you're going to argue with me and I know you're going to try to reason yourself out of this. Let me tell you how serious I am about this. And so he leads them in prayer. They open up their eyes and he's looking straight at them. And he says this, Because, guys, if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will forgive yours. If you don't forgive other people their trespasses, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. How serious was he? A parable, a prayer, and a commentary. How serious is he? The only chance you have for salvation is your sins to be forgiven. And you become a Christian by being immersed so that your sins are washed away. And that flow just continues. John says, as you walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus continually flows... We'll show you a picture of a guy in a river. He's just sitting in this river and it's flowing. This, I want you to picture like we've sung songs about the river or the fountain flowing. He's in, he's in this river and the water continually flows. This is like the blood of Jesus. When you are in God walking the light, you're really not walking on a road. You're walking in the, the blood of Jesus. And it continually cleanses you as you're walking along, Right? There's two ways that you step out of this river and then you meet your sins again. Not that God unforgives, it's that God discontinues, which is just as bad. He discontinues forgiveness. He doesn't unforgive any sin at all. I don't believe God will ever unforgive a sin, but he will discontinue forgiveness. You're in this flow, and as you're walking in this flow, your sins are forgiven. If you decide, I don't want to do this, I want to, I want to live in sin rather than in Christ, you can step out of the river voluntarily. It's a choice you make. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ except the grace of Christ, except you. You can step out of the river and walk in darkness. But there's a second way you can do it. If you decide, I want God's forgiveness, but I don't want to extend it to anybody else, I want to dam up, dam up this river. I want to put a dam in this river, and I want to sit on this side and just enjoy His forgiveness, but not extend it to others. God says, I will dam up the river, but it's going to be before it reaches you. And now, all of a sudden, 
The people who wrong you don't get grace, but neither do you. And your salvation is put on hold. And you decide that until that person comes begging me for forgiveness of this sin, I'm not going to forgive them. And while, while you give them that power, your forgiveness from God isn't received either. Your salvation is suspended while you hate that person. Am I overstating the case? Is Jesus really calling this a salvation issue? That once you become a, in the kingdom of God, oh, you know, there's no salvation issue. Really? Because if you, for, you fail to forgive somebody else, your salvation is suspended. This is a salvation issue for many people. If you refuse to forgive other people, your forgiveness stops. And so does your salvation and walk with God. But you are equipped to do it. The moment you receive God's grace and abundance, you are empowered to be able to offer it to other people. Let those people walk away. It's kind of like these parents who are big into time out. And you, it's like, I, I'm putting my kid over here. You can't do anything, and I'm going to sit here and watch you make sure you don't do anything. And so both of you are punished, right? It's a punishment for both of us. I can't do anything. You can't do anything until I make sure. How about this? How about just forgiving that person who wronged you and set both of you free? That's what Jesus is saying here. It works that way. There's two responses this morning for you. For, for a person who's been wronged by somebody and you haven't been able to forgive them right here and right now, it won't require coming forward at all unless you just need the prayers and help of this church, but you can, in the sanctity of your own mind, just let them loose. Just forgive them right now. Who is it? Is it an ex-spouse? Is it a parent? Is it a former friend? A person you love, but you're just in, you're in enmity with them at the moment? Who is it that you're not forgiving? There's no need to come forward at all. Just in your own mind, release it. Let it go. And let your flow of forgiveness go again. Because while you hold them hostage, they're holding you hostage from God. And that's a terrible trade. Don't ever give anybody that much power over your spiritual life. But there's another invitation. If you've racked up the pile of God's wrath, this storing of wrath from God, and you're conscious of it, there's a tremendous burden you're carrying around, and you're in dire trouble of, of having to pay for every single part of your debt if you do not have the arrangement made. God is just. He will make sure every sin is paid for, but He'd much rather have His Son pay for it for you. Walk away today debt-free. Don't carry it out of here like you brought it in. There is no reason in the world. Name the name of Jesus who stands for you. Join Him in His death, burial, and resurrection, and come out of the other side walking in the light. Your tab will be expunged. So you have responses to consider. You might have some work to do. And I'm warning you, it could be a matter of eternal life or death. The red flag is raised, the warning's been given. But it's not really a warning, is it? It's an amazing, amazingly wonderful, gracious thing. Receive God's grace and give it. That's your response today as we stand and as we sing.